At Woodside Bible Church, we gather each week to pursue God by studying His Word together. This winter, we're taking a fresh look at a familiar story through our series, Jonah, At Odds with God. Tune in now as we face the same choice Jonah did, to receive God's mission or to resent it. No, I felt so much love last week uh, with the reception, all the treats, the love, the Facebook messages. You guys, you're amazing. And, and this group in particular, the people here this morning, you guys are like super Christians because you lost an hour of sleep. It's like negative 3,000 degrees. And, and you are still here. So these are the real Christians here at Chesterfield. That's don't tell second service. Can we keep that secret safe with me? Yes, thank you. All right, so I am so happy to be here. Man, you guys, I, I just, my heart is full. And being able to end this series on Jonah, you know, this is, this is just packed with so much wisdom, so much practicality. And, and again, as we start a new series next week, as we lead up to Easter, I want to challenge you guys, get that book. Meals for Jesus, because we want to dig into this together. And so let's jump right into this. I want to start off with a story. And this is a story all the way back from a Lutheran minister. His name is Henry Gorecki. Okay? Henry Gorecki. This is in October of 1946. So if you think about the 1940s, what was happening in the 1940s? World War II, and you guys will find out as weeks go on, I love history. I'm gonna reference history many, many times because I believe we can learn from history. So in 1946, we got this Lutheran minister by the name of Henry Garaki, and he visited a few members of his parish in Germany, and then he made his way over to some individuals who were about to die because of their war crimes during World War II in Nazi Germany. Germany. And so he committed himself to go into some of these uh, Nazi generals and officials and share the gospel with them. That was his mission, to go to these individuals and share the gospel. These are people that were already condemned for their actions, and they were all set to experience that capital punishment. And, and in this case, I was reading this story, and it was about a man who uh, was about to get hanged. And he was at the place where they put that rope around his neck and they were asked their last words. And one of the guys, his name was Joachim von Ribbentrop. And he said, I place all my confidence in the lamb who made atonement for my sins. May God have mercy on my soul. Then he looked at Gorecki and he said, I'll see you again. So then they put that black hood over his head. It was pulled over him. And then that 13-coiled noose was around his neck, and they dropped him through the trap door. You know, up into this, this moment, that guy, Ribbentrop, he was, the, he was kind of that official who would go to other nations, a foreign minister for Adolf Hitler himself. And so here he is, and he gave his life to Christ. It is believed and said that eight people gave their life to Christ through this minister, through this Lutheran pastor who went to the worst of the worst. And so you'd wonder with him, this, this chaplain of Jesus Christ, you know, how did people receive him? 
Did people love him? Did people cheer him on for going to these Nazi war generals and officials and, and ministers? Well, what, what happened? And, and the reality is he was not accepted. His son later found in a, in a trap little drawer in his desk letters upon letters of hate mail. And in that hate mail, hate mail it said, you're a, you're a Jew hater. You're a Nazi lover. He was not accepted. He was not loved. He was condemned because he went to these people who committed all these atrocities. And so I want us to not be quick to judge. I want us to think if we were in the position of these people and we witnessed this man going to these Nazi individuals, you know, what would we do? What, what do you think? Is it possible that these vile Nazi war criminals could be forgiven? That their souls could be saved? What about the person who abused children? What about the one who murders what about the individuals that, that steal or burn someone alive or kill in, in the craziest ways? What about these people? Did they deserve the compassion of God? I mean, we all know that there are, there are sins, right? But then there are sins, and we would say, man, yeah, we sin, we struggle, but then there are, there are sins, great sins in, in our mind. Could people like this be saved right next to us? Will we be with those individuals in heaven one day? You know, there's a pastor named Art Azurdia, and he said, extreme expression of redemption often arouse extreme reactions of resentment. How do you respond to God's compassion? How do we as a spiritual group, as a spiritual family, how do we collectively respond to, to God's compassion? And, and it makes me think, can God be too compassionate? Can he be, be too graceful? And what we'll see today as we close out this series is we'll see a prophet at odds with the compassion of God. Because this compassion that God offers the Ninevites, it, it, it just doesn't have any logic in the mind of Jonah. It just doesn't make sense to him. And so I want to start off with this statement. We're going to put it up here for you guys to see. The Lord's compassion exceeds our logic. It exceeds what, what makes sense in our minds. Because we have our, self, our subconscious, we have life experience, but God's compassion exceeds our own logic. Might sound odd, but compassion is something that, that people struggle with. 
You know, they've always struggled with. I think about the Old Testament and, and I think about story after story. And right, you got those Israelites and, and they constantly struggled with compassion, right? They were kind of, uh, how do I say it? They had, a, they had a superiority complex. They had this elitism personality. God would show them these miraculous things and take care of them, but they just thought they were better than everyone. And so there was this cycle of these Israelites just missing the boat of what God was calling them to be as a nation. And, and if we're not careful, we could become like those Israelites, thinking we are better or more superior than others, sitting on that judgment seat. And, and I think about those Israelites, rather than, than focusing outward on how to demonstrate who their God was, they, dem- they always focused inwardly and eventually led to just so many destructive things in their history because they just had, they had so much arrogance and they limited their compassion. So that you think about Jonah, this prophet of God, and he comes face to face with what would be one of the most dramatic examples <laughs> of self-righteousness. And, and you think about it, here's these, here are these people, the Ninevites, and Jonah had complete disregard for God's compassion. So we've been journeying on this, and we've been seeing Jonah trying to run from the purpose of God, and, and you'd expect after he's saved, after he is sent back to the Ninevites, after he didn't drown and die in that whale, you'd expect for him to be ecstatic and excited about this mission in front of him, but instead, his attitude doesn't change. He didn't really learn his lesson because he received God's mercy in chapter two. And then in chapter three, we see that these people in Nineveh, um, they turn their lives around. One of the greatest evangelistic moments in the history of time. And what happens in that moment? Jonah's upset. You know, I remember a time when I had this uh, giant youth event. So we hired this person to come in and he went into every single school. We paid him into, to go to every single school and he had this like motivational message and then he invited everyone back on a Wednesday night to the church I was at and he was gonna share the gospel. So we didn't know how this was gonna work. He went and he spoke in front of five, 6,000 people. And then on Wednesday night, we were at the church and we were like, okay, who, who knows who's going to show up? But then we looked out in the crowd and the church was packed. We had students and parents. And then he gave that call for people to accept Christ. And that day we had 70 students give their life to Christ. We had 70 people come forward, right? Yes. From different schools, walks of life. I, I remember just being blown away. I was ecstatic. I was excited. I was pumped. It's like every pastor's dream, right? A revival to happen, right? For people to be moved, for the spirit to be prevalent. And you're just jumping for joy when things like that happen because you know it's not always going to happen all the time. And so you would think that Jonah would have one of these experiences when 120,000 people repented of their sin. 
but he wasn't. Actually, what he did, what it says in the text, is he went to the east of the city, and he looked upon the city, and he was waiting for their destruction. He was waiting after those 40 days. He was looking for, for like an atomic bomb to be dropped on the city. He was looking for the, for the fire to come down, the mushroom cloud, Sodom and Gomorrah 2.0. He was hoping for that to happen, even when he saw people turning from their ways. It's like someone trying to get box seats at the Coliseum and, and watching people being killed and, and die uh, with uh, you know, these attacks by gladiators and warriors for the Romans. And so here he is sitting on that hill and, and he's waiting and yet nothing happens. And when nothing happens, this bloodthirsty prophet says, God, kill me. That was his response. Just kill me. Why? Because there's someone he can't stand more than the Ninevites. He, he couldn't stand a God who was too compassionate. Isn't that wild? <laughs> Look what it says in the text in Jonah 3.10. When God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that he had said he would do to them, and he did not do it. You go to the next chapter, chapter four, verse one, it says this, but it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. So God relented, and he's ticked off. He's ticked off because of the compassion that God had showed these people. Are you angry with God's compassion? Are you sometimes upset that he shows this world compassion, even with how jacked up it is at times? You know, I think in this, in this scenario, it's showing us, and, and I want to be pointed about this, it's showing us that Jonah believed that God's actions were wrong. He's so upset because he, he doesn't think that God should have done this. He thinks they deserve to die. They, des they deserve to be destroyed. You know, he, we see here and with the king, he said, who knows, God may turn and relent and turn from his fierce anger so that we may not perish because God was justified in his anger. But then it goes on into chapter four and, and here's this prophet and he sees the grace that God's gonna give. Jonah knows the whole time what God is like. It's just so intriguing to me that he's mad because he knows God. He knows what God is going to do. He knows that it's gonna be in complete conflict with what he thinks is right. And then you go into Jonah chapter four and you go into verse two, look at this. And he prayed to the Lord and said, oh Lord, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? That is why I made haste 
to flee to Tarshish. So here we got answers. Finally, we know the answer to the question of what we saw back in chapter one. Why did Jonah run away? The reason he ran away was not because the job was hard, was not because of persecution, was not because he thought he would be killed. He runs away because he disagrees with God. Because he knows that God will show compassion to these people. I mean, you think about in the second part of that verse, in in chapter 4, verse 2, it says, For I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. I knew it. God, I knew you'd show them grace. I knew you'd love them. I knew you'd be compassionate. I knew you'd be kind. I knew you thought of these people as image bearers. I knew it. That's why I didn't want to go, because I knew you'd save them. I knew you would not destroy this nation. And we see this all over the Old Testament, whether it's when when God was talking to Moses in Exodus 34, 6. Look, Look what it says. The Lord passed before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord, a God, a merciful and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. God even says this about himself. And this is the great hypocrisy in the story. Because here's this guy who received compassion who received grace and in return did not want to give it to others. Sound like something familiar? Forgive as you've been forgiven? You know, we're so quick to throw stones, but but have we realized that God has forgiven us and we are deserving of this? So here's Jonah who's, who's thrilled at his salvation, right? You know, thank you, God, for saving me. But then what happens is he's not happy about the Ninevites. And so I want to challenge us because I don't just want this to be intellectual. I want to apply it to our lives. Because this is one of the things that I am challenged with as a Christ follower. And sometimes we get on our little self-righteous stands and we forget I, I've told people for years when, when I started foster care, it shook my, my faith. As someone who, who was self-righteous and, and, and at times judgmental, I got to see a world that was different. I got to see a life that was different than mine. You know, when I, when I watch the news and you see a murder, I used to be like, they're disgusting, you know? Why would they do that? And then I started thinking, what happened in their childhood to lead them to this moment that they're at? Who neglected them that they would think that this was the path to take? Who wasn't there for them? And I started realizing not everything is, is, is the way that my life was. Not everyone's raised in the way that my life was raised. 
I remember looking at my foster daughter and her, her tearing up as a 17-year-old and her telling me, this is the first bed that I've ever had my whole life. When she was in our basement and her first bed was the one that we'd given her. And when she moved out, she said, can I please take this bed with me? When her, her sister would come over, because she still lived in that setting and they didn't have running water and their toilets were frozen. They had holes in their wall. And there used to be a time I was self-righteous and I would, I would get frustrated. Why would they do drugs? Why would they have those addictions? Why would they be this way? And I was just on my high horse. Jonah was battling these same things. You know, for us, Maybe it's someone who's different than us, who looks different, sounds different. Someone who's not in your circle. Maybe it's the transgender woman that looks different, sounds different. Maybe it's the person on TV, the politician, who doesn't agree, you, you don't agree with their policies and they're incurring debt that your children and their children will have to carry. Maybe it's that person that is polar opposite from you and they just get under your skin. Just it doesn't take much, but they just hit you in a way that ticks you off. Maybe it's the person who's supposed to love you. Maybe it's the individual that cheated on you, that hurt you, that lied about you, that gossiped about you. You know, don't we all know there are sinners and then there are sinners. <laughs> there are those people with the great sins. People of violence. People of perversion. People like the Ninevites. And that's what Jonah saw them as. They weren't just like, oh man, they said a bad word. You know, listen to some music that they shouldn't. Like they were the epitome of perversion. They were sinners. You know, one of my favorite stories is the prodigal son, Luke 15. You guys have probably heard it many, many times. So you got the story of the son, and he goes, and he lives up his life. He's like in Vegas, partying, wasting his money on uh, prostitutes and probably drugs and alcohol. You name it. He's doing it all. And, and, and then there's this other son and he's living at home, he's doing his thing, and, and he's more focused on approval and self-righteous living, and, and hear me out, both are lethal, both are bad. The only difference in this story is one of them realized their sin. So the truth is, who's the real prodigal? Who's the actual prodigal in that story? One came to realize, man, I've really screwed this up. And one continued to live in his self-righteousness. Guys, I've been there. I've been there. Some, sometimes it's, it's, you know, on work days. <laughs> Some days it, it's me as I, as I approach a situation with a family member. And when our minds travel down this road, it always reveals the same truth, that we've lost that sense of depravity, we've lost that sense that we all need the grace of God. We all need it. 
We all are under that same umbrella of what Christ did for us on that cross. And that's Jonah's problem. He started to think he was better. That he was different than these people. Listen to this in uh, chapter 4, verse 3. Therefore, now, O Lord, please take my life for me. For it is better for me to die than live. <laughs> the story blows my mind. Here we go. Here's Jonah. And now the salvation of this nation leads to him having suicidal tendencies. If these people are with you, I don't want to be with you. If he's in, she's in, I, I don't want to be. Jonah's, he, he's at a state where he's like out of control in his anger. And, and to be real, we see him at his worst here. <laughs> we see him at a very bad spot. I mean, we all have our worst. Hopefully you never have to see me at my worst. Hopefully I don't have to see you at your worst. But, but the reality is, with this prophet, is he is opposing the heart of God. And this is where it gets good. What does God choose to do? <laughs> okay, you have this prophet, he's being belligerent. What does God choose to do? He actually chooses to extend the same compassion. Jonah 4.4 4 says, The Lord said, Do you do well to be angry? You know, he asked a question. What would you have done if you were God? What would have we done if we were in the seat of God? Would we have been like the older brother looking as the younger brother walks down the road. Oh, they're back. Are you serious? My dad's running after him? Are you, are you for real right now? Would we have been like that older brother in our judgment? But God doesn't choose to abandon him. He doesn't blast him. He doesn't condemn him. And neither has he condemned or blasted or, con or sent us away. If you have asked for his mercy, you, you receive it no matter where you are. And so I want to ask a question, where are we? Where do we stand in this room? You know, I think about Adam and Eve and, and, and that story because God has seen this time and time again. And, and here's Adam and Eve and they had sinned and, and then they went and they hid from God and God asked this question, where are you? Does that mean that God didn't know where they were? Does that mean that they just hid really well? It's like, man, I just can't see where, what happened to them. Of course he knew where they were. You know, questions expose people's hearts and position in relationship with God. Great leaders ask great questions. Questions spur thought. God spurred thought. And then through Jesus, he spurred thought. Always asking questions. After Cain's murder of Abel, where's your brother? Jesus asked Judas, do you betray me with a kiss? 
Jesus asked Peter after his denial, do you love me? Jesus asked Paul of Tarsus, why are you persecuting me? You know, these questions, they, they help us see. It's a gracious, patient response. Where are we blind? Where do we need to see? Are we that person that comes in the seat and we're always judging and always um, uh, almost like skeptical? Are we the person that's loving our neighbor? Are we the ones that get outside our comfort zone? Are we the person that we really don't have non-Christian friends? Are we that person, we, we just, we've never truly shared the gospel with someone, or we haven't in a long time? And so I think about this, we have to respond, and we have to be different than how Jonah was. So I think about this, he was angry with God's compassion. That's that first question. Here's the second. Have you accepted your equal need of God's grace? Have you accepted it? Again, Jonah, he thought he was different. He went to the hill. He wanted to see it destroyed. He waited for those 40 days. He wanted to see an explosion. Nothing happened. And so then he's upset and he wants to die. So you think about this, this question in, in Jonah chapter 4, verse 5. I actually want to read through these verses, and I want you to really dig in and, and kind of put yourself in Jonah's seat. Jonah went out of the city, sat to the east of the city, made a booth for himself. He sat under it in the shade till he should see what would become of the city. Now the Lord God appointed a plant and made it come up over Jonah, that it might be shade over his head to save him from his discomfort. So Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plant. So Jonah, he makes a little shelter. It's hot, and he's, you know, extremely emotional. But in this story, if you've read it before, you know this, this is a straight setup, okay? He's being set up for what's happening next. And that's in the next couple verses in, in Jonah chapter 4, verse 7 through 9. This is what it says. But when dawn came up the next day, God appointed a worm. I didn't know God could appoint worms. I guess he can. So he, he appointed a worm that attacked the plant so that it withered. When the sun rose, God appointed a scorching east wind, and the sun beat down on the head of Jonah so that he was faint. And he asked that he might die and said, it's better for me to die than live. But God said to Jonah, do you do well to be angry for the plant? It's another question. And he said, yes, I do well to be angry, angry enough to die. So this all happens in a couple hours. God brings up this plant. Then he gives him shade. He's pumped up about it. Yes, I feel a little better. And then it dies and he's exhausted. And so I want us to think about the sequence, the sequence of events. Verse 6, God appointed a plant. He rejoices. Verse 7, God appointed a worm. Verse 8, God appointed an east wind. Now he wants to die. <laughs> this guy's a roller coaster of emotion. He's everywhere on the map. And it's funny because self-centered people are rarely happy. He was only thinking about himself. You guys know someone, and, and let's be honest, they are just extremely self-centered. 
Are they ever happy? Did they ever have the fruits of the spirit of joy and patience and goodness and kindness and self-control? Think about it. Those, those people who are just so focused on themselves, they're rarely happy. That's what's happening with Jonah. He's so focused on, on what makes him happy. It says in the next verses, and the Lord said, you pity the plant for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow, which came into being in a night and perished in a night. Should I not pity Nineveh, that great city, in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left? And there's also much cattle? I'm going to sound smart for a second. Uh, this is an example of what they call argumentum, uh, fortiori. <laughs> okay? That means it's an argument from lesser to greater. So what God is doing is he's using a lesser example to build up to a greater. You know, in Matthew, it talks about how God clothes the lilies of the valley and so much more he's going to clothe us. And he's saying, hey, plants, they're, they're important, they're good. But how much more important are people? How much more important are, are those who are my image bearers? He goes from the lesser to the greater. Yes, plants matter to God. <laughs> plants matter to him. Nature matters to him. But people matter more. <laughs> and so he's, he's confronting him. These are the people that their, their breath and their lungs are from me, and, and yet you don't love, you care more about this plant that's a couple hours old that lived and died, and now you want to die? And so it makes us think, do, do people matter to us? Do all people matter to us? Are we just worried about plants? Are we more worried about the plants of our life? the little things of our life than the big things of God. Because all this exposes, I mean, I think about him, that, that he's just more focused on what's going to make him happy in the temporal. I love this quote. A Jonah lurks in every Christian heart, whimpering his insidious message of smug prejudice, empty traditionalism, and exclusive solidarity. Do you think God's too compassionate? You know, there's sinners, and then there are, there are sinners. Guys, I think every Christian at some time in their walk will struggle with this. They'll kind of just miss the mark. They'll miss the, the urgency and the passion of making disciples or spending time with him or building up our brothers in Christ and sisters in Christ. I've seen this. I've seen it in myself, the good, the bad, the ugly. And I've also seen it in others. One of the coolest stories that I ever witnessed was actually in my last church. There was this man, he called up our church and he said, hey, do you guys have a baptismal that we can use? It was, it's right in COVID. People's doors were shut. You know, a lot of churches weren't open yet, so he was calling around. A lot of churches would not let them use the baptismal. And so we said, sure, yeah, you could use our baptismal. And he said, let me tell you the story. 
So he's this missionary from Israel, and he was sent back to the States because of COVID. So when he was sent back to the States, he was like, okay, I guess I'm just going to you know, rest and, and meet some of our supporters and go to some of the churches. And so one day he was sharing that he went on this hike. When he was on this hike, he noticed this person that was struggling as they walked the path. They were kind of tripping and falling. They were alone. They were elderly. And so he met this person and said, hey, can I, can I help you? And so when he was helping this individual, he shared the gospel with him. And when he shared the gospel with him, this guy said, I, I want to accept Jesus into my life. So this missionary, he said, okay, let's call up churches, get you connected, get you baptized. Let's do this. And so he took him to our church that we were at. Except this guy was very ill, this man that he'd helped. He actually had a port in. So when he came to the church to be baptized, we had to saran wrap him so we could get him underneath the water. So this missionary was there with us, this guy who's supposed to be resting and just kind of focusing on visiting his supporting churches, but he used this opportunity to share the gospel and have compassion on this man. This man who in his old age had never given his life to Christ. This man who did not have a church community. This man who was forgotten. What's interesting is that man, he would get picked up every day for church. People would stock his kitchen, clean his home, take care of him. And every once in a while, a couple weeks, couple months, that missionary would call and say, hey, how's he doing? How, how's he been doing in his faith? How's his health? and people would take care of him. One time someone even came in the hospital to visit him and another member was already there shaving his face. Sometimes we get lost being like a Jonah. We forget the simplicity of love, of taking care of our neighbor, of carrying their trash can back up their driveway of texting that person or writing a letter telling that, them that you're caring for them and you love them and you've been thinking of them. Sometimes we kind of miss the mark because we know a bunch of stuff in a book, but we don't actually exercise it. So as we end this series and as my notes fell, <laughs> I want to end with one final quote. This is by one of my favorite preachers, Charles Spurgeon. He said it this way. It is the whole business of the whole church to preach the whole gospel to the whole world. Don't be like a Jonah on your high horse, on your podium. Love. Show compassion. Care for people that they can't help but to think something is different. Something is completely different about us. And so my prayer is, Father, may that be so with everyone in this room. Let's pray. Father, I want to ask right now that we check our hearts, check our spirits, because we all have moments that we, we carry a Jonah. You didn't judge him. You asked him a question. You challenged him. And sometimes we have to be challenged. I pray that we are different. We stand out. 
from our fellow neighbors because we have that hope and we have your very spirit that resides in us. Again, thank you for this cold, windy morning with Spring Forward that we could be here in a church that's warm, worshiping, singing your name. We love you, God. We pray this all in the name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you for joining us as we study God's word together. We would love to hear how God is moving in your heart and get you connected into the Woodside Bible Church family. Head to woodsidebible.org connect to introduce yourself today.